listening to a PK Olawale sermon. Prepare to be blessed. We are going to study the Bible tonight. This is my favorite part of church. Um, uh, the Bible says Jesus told the disciples, Matthew 20, he said, go ye to the nations, and Matthew 28, verse 20, go ye to all the nations and preach the gospel, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, so I'm teaching them to observe. Um, I think one of the reasons why we have uh, uh, what you call um, incorrigibles in the kingdom of God now, uh, people that, who don't care about God, not bothered as to what God wants of their life. It's more of the fact that they have not been taught. And um, one of the evidences of the last days is the fact that the Bible says people will have itching ears. They will not be able to withstand sound doctrine. Now, if you can't withstand doctrine, it simply means um, you will be like that seed that fell on the rock you will germinate, but you will not have roots. And when troubles and life challenges comes, you wither. And that's what we ha- we're having a lot of Christians uh, withering, some turning away from faith because they have one or two challenges. They've not come to a deep understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God. And his teaching actually helps with that, okay? Not preaching, teaching, amen. So let's get to work tonight. I'm excited about this. I learned, gather you guys have been studying the book of um, Second Corinthians, isn't it? And today we are doing verse, chapter number 12. Chapter number 12 of Second Corinthians is very pregnant. We're hoping that we'll be able to deliver all the babies <laughs> in the, <laughs> from the verse or chapter in Jesus' name. That's a figure of speech, though. Second Corinthians in chapter number 12. Amen. Father, we are so grateful for mercies you've shown us and how you daily load us with benefits. We do ask you, sweet Holy Spirit, that you grant us understanding. You are the author of this book and it is yours. We ask for an enlightened mind. Lord, grant us grace to see from your perspective and give us understanding. And let this word translate to character um, so we could live for you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Second Corinthians in chapter number 12. Now, it's, it's a bit of a long chapter. This is, uh, I think, what I'll try to do today is give a synopsis of um, the chapter if we are to study this chapter i will need two weeks seriously if it could it could be more than that but we will we will scrape through and scratch the surface trusting the lord that he will teach us what he has for us i'll read verses one through to verse number 10 and i'll probably just make mention of what happened in verse 11 through to um the last verse which is verse number 21 I'm reading from the New King James Version of Scriptures. The Bible says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Paul speaking here. 
I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, please take note of that, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Yet, of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Verse number seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I, exalted, lest I be exalted above measure. Verse 8. Concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly i will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of christ may rest upon me therefore i take pleasure in infirmities i say that again therefore i take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in heats in persecutions in distresses for christ's sake for when i am weak then I am strong. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy words. Now, let me give a simple synopsis. Um, obviously, from chapter 11, um, you started reading about how Paul began to, as it were, give uh, um, a dossier of his resume, talk about his spiritual achievements. Um, is physical achievements, it's career achievements. Um, he, he didn't intend going that route, but he needed to, uh, it was necessary for him to outline all those things for one reason. Um, the church in Corinth was one of the first churches Paul started. He went to Athens, from Athens, he went to Corinth. And he spent some time in Corinth, about a year and a half, 18, 18 months. He started a church there, the church grew, Corinth in those days in the first century was a very commercial center, very prosperous city, very rich. And like typical of the first century was also plagued by paganism, a lot of strange worship. Um, in Corinth and in Ephesus, you had the temple of Diana. Diana, the Greek version of Diana was Venus. Diana was the god of fertility and the god of um, love. And um, part of the worship of Diana means there were to be what you call sexual um, escapades that they had. It was part of the worship. Um, the one in Ephesus, the temple of Diana in Ephesus, had at least 1,000 prostitutes. They called them temple prostitutes. And those days they found it a great honor to be picked by Diana to be a temple prostitute. In fact, every family celebrated. Once they have any of their daughters picked or elected by Diana to be a temple prostitute, so anyone who went to the temple to worship Diana in those days, 
part of your worship was for you to um, um, sleep or have sex with one of the temple prostitutes or as many as you can handle. And that was um, the community that um, Paul went to. It was so pagan, ladies and gentlemen, and that was the norm of the day. And so the, now you can imagine when you have paganism and when you have prosperity. That, that combination is very dangerous. And I think it's one of the combinations that is also plaguing us over here now. Where there's so much wealth and there's no God at all. That is a huge problem. Huge problem. And, and because of that, you still you find in the church in Corinth, um, the, the, the peculiarity of the letter that Paul wrote to them always addresses lust. Sexual immorality because that was the daily confrontations they had to face. All right? The fact that they had to leave all those kind of um, sexual looseness and come into some consecration with God was a huge challenge for them. In fact, it was in the, in the in Corinth, the Bible says, Paul said, I say something to your shame. Um, some young men were sleeping with their stepmothers. And Paul said, these things are not even practiced by Gentiles. How much more it should be practiced in the church? So it was a church that was um, they were spiritual, spiritual in terms of not that they were intimate with God, but they were a people that um, were knowledgeable in the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Paul did a good job, taught them, they got baptized in the Holy Ghost, but they were still leaving and seeing. Some of them would sneak out to Diana's temple and once in a while, whenever they, were, they, they had the festivals. They join in and probably they eat some of the um, animals that were sacrificed to Diana. And that necessitated the council in Jerusalem. When the Gentiles began to turn to Christ, there was a need then to tell the Gentiles, they gave them two or three um, um, instructions. Number one, don't eat anything offered to idols. Number one, um, flee fornication. Um, and I can't remember the third one now. Okay, so Corinth was of a commercial nerve. It was a very, very prosperous city and was full of young men. It was so full of young people that were doing so well in life. So you can imagine in our days, you have guys in their 20s and their 30s that were rich and comfortable. Had cars. Well, they had chariots. <laughs> they had horses. Okay, things that they shouldn't have had at the age because it was a very prosperous city. And Paul was dealing with a whole lot there. Paul started the work. The work grew. He had to leave at some point in time. Paul visited Corinth three times. Um, he had visited Corinth twice before he wrote to this. This was the, the epistle he wrote to them, 2 Corinthians. He wrote to them before he made his third visit. He actually made mention of his third visit in chapter number 13. Okay, that he was going to come to them, and if God permits, it will be with them all through winter. I think he went back there and he stayed this time three months. He was in the region of um, Greece for three months on the third visit. Why am I going down this lane? I need to understand the nature of Corinth. So when you read the letters and you see some things written that are not in, um, that do not have front page um, uh, attention in other epistles, is because that each each city had its own peculiarity. Corinth was you didn't have to, you had to stand not to fall into fornication. Fornication wasn't a scene in Corinth those days. It was, it was, you could have anything and anyone and anybody. Okay, it was that easy. And so sexual perversion was a struggle in the church. Huge struggle. And obviously you know it should be, it should be because so most of them were babes in the Lord. Some of them were 
still growing. They've not found their feet in the Lord. They had encountered God, but they didn't know how to mortify their members. So Paul wrote to them a lot about the consequences of fornication and how your body has to be the um, temple of the Holy Spirit and you can't defile it. He gave them reasons to live for God. He gave them reasons not to live in sin. But Paul, um, the, the, the Corinth also was, um, had, had a lot of knowledgeable folks, people who were intellectuals. Um, Paul was smart, Paul was intelligent, but Paul was not an orator. He was not eloquent, as it were. Paul was not given to speech. Um, he, he was so full of God's power, but he wasn't your typical exciting preacher, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, it was not, it's not the kind of preacher. You will see the demonstration of God's power. You see the dead rise. You see the blind see. But it's not that kind of guy that you, his words are not too exciting. He just says it the way it is. He doesn't tell too much stories around his message. He just tells you what the Bible says and that's it. And so a lot of those young folks could not resonate with him. They understood the message. They accepted the message. But it, was not, it wasn't sensitizing enough for them. Then came one young man called Apollos. If you want to read the story of Apollos, you need to back up to Acts chapter number 18. I'm just giving you a synopsis. So when we get into some integrities, you understand why Paul wrote what he wrote and why he took the stand he took. Um, Apollos was great orator. Open your Bible. Let me show you a bit of Apollos. Then we keep getting on. Hallelujah. Y'all listening to me, eh? Acts of the Apostles in chapter number 18. Let's read about this guy. Now, you need, Apollos pedigree is very intimidating, very interesting guy. It, Acts 18, the 18th chapter of Acts, and we'll read from verse number 24. Acts 18 from verse 24. The Bible says, now a certain Jew named Apollos. Now, we know Apollos was a Jew, just, just an ordinary guy. Apollos was a Jew and was born in Alexandria. Alexandria was a, it's like being born in, what's the... Best of the best areas here. It's like being born in Buckingham Palace those days. Okay, that's if, if there's any thought, such thing. The uh, Bible says it was an eloquent man. And please check out the characteristics of this guy. This guy could speak. I don't know about you. I listen to some preachers. I wish I had the, the oratory grief they have. Some folks just make you want to eat what they say. They are given to words, Lord, you listen to them. You, you want to listen to them again and again and again. I wish I had that, but I don't, and I'm grateful for what I have. Now, and, and the Bible says this guy wasn't just eloquent. He was mighty in scriptures. So he wasn't, he wasn't a novice. When he came to God, this guy was, uh, he knew what he was saying. The Bible says he came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the will of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. And the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord. So this guy is also teachable. And guess what? He was extremely zealous for God. Anyway, at some point, to cut the long story short, at some point, um, um, Apollos made his way also to Corinth after the church in Corinth had started. And Apollos, obviously, don't forget, Corinth is full of young people. You call them yuppies, young professional, upward-looking professionals. And guess what? They love such things. Apollos was the kind of guy that came to town. The whole auditorium was filled up. All right? Just because he had the gift of oratory. And Apollos would preach. And because most of the young men, um, being young, they kind of inclined towards Apollos. 
All right? So the church was divided. Some folks now began to look more towards the coming of Apollos than Paul. So there came a division. Some say I'm of Apollos. Another says I'm of Paul. It was Paul that showed us the way. He says, no, Apollos is smart, he's sharp. Paul wasn't a great dresser. <laughs> all right? Paul wasn't that kind of person that comes and is sharp looking and all trimmed and chiseled. Oh, no, that wasn't Paul. Paul was as a matter of fact. He just shows up anything he had. Um, all he was interested in was getting Jesus across to people. Anyhow, with, every, with everything, every strength, resource he had, that was his joy. But Apollos was, don't forget, was from a, a very rich home. So Apollos was the dresser, the talker, and boy. So Paul said, well, well so there, there was division because of Paul and Apollos. So Paul now said, he wrote 1 Corinthians, said, if Paul preach or Paul plants and Apollos waters, only God can give the increase. Okay, so you shouldn't be divided because of, we're all servants. Myself, Apollos, we're all servants. Paul wasn't insecure. In fact, at some point in time, if you read towards the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul was asking them, he said, he would try and prevail on Apollos to come and visit them since they like Apollos. He wasn't insecure. He felt, well, anything, just, I just need you to know Jesus. It doesn't matter who preaches to you. Just get to know the Lord. But he said, don't allow divisions among you because you have some favorite preacher you have some favorite person, makes no difference. Only God gives the increase. And because a lot of people were coming with enticing, I mean, Paul had to chip in some of his pedigree right there because some people started disrespecting him because he wasn't rich, he wasn't the dresser. He didn't fit into the profile of a respected person in Corinth, if you know what I mean. Okay? So, um, uh, Paul had to chip in and said, look, I didn't come to you in enticing words of men's wisdom. I came to you in the demonstration of the power of God. In other words, you can fault my, my English or my Greek ability, but you can't fault the anointing. All right? So after, after Apollos went, Apollos was a great guy. Cephas also went there, Peter, at some point in time. But that started coming different kind of apostles. Okay, besides the 12 apostles that we knew, you know, there was a generation of some apostles, which was the 12 apostles Jesus picked. Those ones, Jesus picked himself. Those ones, they're in a different category. There will never be that category of apostles ever again. Okay? And they have been honored. The Bible says the foundation of the new Jerusalem, the 12 foundations, is in their name. Okay? Then comes another group of apostles after that. And that's where you talked about the Pauls of this world. You talk about the Matthias of this world. You talk about... Um, Apollos, Barnabas, God bless you, my sister. All sorts grew up. So those are the second category. Now, within that time, everybody that was, um, that was a sent person, you, once you leave a territory to go to another territory, you seem to be called an apostle. But the, every, the, for you to be an apostle, you must have what you call the ratification of the original apostles in Jerusalem. That's Peter and the company, the original 12. Okay, so a lot of guys felt, well, they didn't need that. And because they were traveling here and there, it's just like our days. Anybody, you can call yourself anything. All right? And nobody questions you. You can call yourself the great general, reverend, blessed uh, metropolitan. I saw someone, his new name is now the metropolitan. I said, this, this guy, something is disturbed. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, get, get the work done. All right? 
But, you know, once you start seeing a man emphasize on what he's called, not who he is in Christ, he has a complex. He has a complex. It is a void of God's presence that makes a man want attention to himself. Once you have God's presence, you want to hide behind. Let's not go there. Okay. So, um, <laughs> um, a lot of false prophets or apostles started showing up. Folks, guys that were, and these guys were well learned, like the Apollos kind of apostles. They were showing up. And they, some started give, calling themselves super apostles. You, you understand? Like, they were trying to tell the folks that we are not in the category of Peter. Peter is an apostle. John is an apostle. James, but we are super apostles. And they made claims. They made claims as to their experiences with Jesus, the revelations they had, then the miracles and the signs that they did. So Paul had to speak to the Corinthians because those guys started peddling wrong doctrines. Then they started causing division among the people. So Paul had to start, start addressing what's the relevance of the apostleship. Number one, which is their credential. They said they are Jews. Then they said, well, they've suffered persecution. They were Pharisees. So Paul also said, I'm a Jew also. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. Started giving his resume. All right? He wasn't trying to, as in any way, um, propagate himself. He was simply trying to address these issues that these super apostles had created in the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was very gullible. Don't forget, they were affluential. Um, they were rich. It was a commercial center. Anything that was new was great. Anything. You know, it was in Athens that they saw the temple to the unknown God. They always just love things, new things. Greeks, the Greeks are given to wisdom. Anything new, they're interested. All right? And so they never really have depth of any relationship with anything. At some point, one of the other claims of these super apostles was signs and wonders. So Paul also said, you know, I, I, I've, you've seen signs and wonders, a part of our apostleship. You see that from verse number 11 of the same chapter. But Paul now addressed the key one. He said, they claim to have revelations. But I'm going to tell you one that I had. Now, when he started out, let's open, let's go back to 2 Corinthians now. Chapter 12. Very interesting and very pregnant passage of scripture. Are you still with me? Praise God. Now, he says, it is not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, in other words, these folks claim to have visions and revelations of God. I'm going to tell you just one. All right? Now, he says, now look at the way he started. He says, I know a man. Now, when someone starts reporting himself in a third party statement, you know he's not trying to get attention for himself. Paul was talking about himself, but he was writing in a, in a third person. Thank you. I said third party. Third person statement. He said, I want to know a man. It's like me talking about myself. I'm saying, well, I want to know a man, but I was, I'm referring to me. So it simply means I don't want you to pay attention to me. There is a reason I'm, I'm 
I'm presenting myself before you not as me, but as some guy who happens to be me, but I don't need, I don't need your attention on me. I need your attention on what I'm about to say. And so, so don't give me any credence or credit for what I'm about to say. And so he hides himself. In the same vein you see in the book of John. The book of John is the last gospel to be written in the, in fact, the last book to be written in the, in the Bible. John, you will never see him address himself by his name. He always addresses himself in a third person statement. The disciple Jesus loved. And because the truth is this, the more we grow in God, the less identity we should have. And that's the number one symbol of spiritual growth. The more we know Jesus, the less of ourselves there should be. In other words, his will, his desires becomes our desire. His will becomes our will. What he wants becomes what we should want. So he says, well, I once knew this guy. And this guy was taken to the third heavens. Now, before I we start breaking down this passage now, we can start writing. We're going to get into a lot of details. Like I said, this is like a three-week whatever. There are two things mentioned in the passage we have read that we will not attempt to answer. And I will explain myself. Number one is the revelation that God showed him that he says he can't say. Number two is what the thorn in the flesh was. Why won't we attempt to answer that? God doesn't want us to know it. That's why he didn't write it. And I'm, I'm not one person to try and pry into what God doesn't want. The Bible is just the way he wants it. Let me show you one scripture so you understand what I'm talking about. Now, is it concealed? No. Because what is concealed will be revealed. The Bible says, talking about First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, it says the um, mysteries that have been concealed, which the prince of this world did not know. I didn't know him, but the Bible says the Lord has kept them for us. This is not one that is kept for us. Please, we must try and understand that. Now, the pursuit of knowledge doesn't mean we are to understand God. God is not there to be understood. He's there to be trusted. Our mind is too minute to understand God. The Bible says, have you not known, have you not heard that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is not weary? There's no searching his understanding. There is no searching his understanding. So it is not possible as it were. Everything God wants us to know, he has it here. Stuff he doesn't want us to know, is not here. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Bible says, the secret things. Come on, Deuteronomy 29, 29, let's go. A lot of scripture now, go with me. The secret things belong to our God. Now, we're not going to try and have what belongs to him. So, if God did not write it, it's not for us to know. So, don't go exploring what is known in scripture, outside of scripture, to make sense of what God did not write in scripture. 
anything you're exploring outside of scripture is to make sense of what God has written in scripture, not what is not in scripture. That's this definition of heresy. Is that clear? So the secret things belong to our God, but those things which are revealed belongs to us and our kids. So we can only deal with the things that are revealed. And guess what? The things that are revealed, we'll need, we'll need forever and forever to understand it. Okay? So if God, Peter, Paul did not write what he saw, God doesn't want us to know it. The Bible even said, he said, it is not proper for a human. In other words, if you, if you meditate and read other versions of that same passage, he's saying that it's, I can't find words to explain it. And that's why I didn't bother. Either because it will be subjected to unnecessary wrong interpretations, or number two, he had instruction not to mention anything about it. But let me show you a case where there was an instruction. Revelations chapter number 10 and verse number 4. This Bible study, let's go. Revelations 10, 4. Now, this is the story. You know, Revelation is about seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vows. The entire book of Revelation is about seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vows. Now, after the six trumpets sounded, the Bible talks about a suddenly a mighty angel showed up in chapter, chapter 10, verse number 1. This angel was huge, mighty, had no clothes on. He was clothed in the cloud. His garment was the cloud. And the Bible says he was so mighty, he put one foot on the sea and one foot on land. <laughs> Let's read it. Very excited. Start from verse number one, please. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head. That was his cap. <laughs> his face was like the sun. Scary guy. And his feet like pillars of fire. <laughs> now, this is not Christ. This is an angel. He had a little book in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Keep going. And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. In other words, the moment this angel cried out, the Bible says his cry was like a roar of a lion. In other words, oh, I could imagine. Then the Bible says the moment that happened, seven thunders when pa pa thunderbolts seven and each one was saying something so now this is what happened and now when the seven thunder thunderbolts thunders uttered their voices i was about to write but i heard a voice from heaven saying to me seal up the things with the seven thunders uttered and do not write them what did the seven thunders uttered we don't know we are not meant to know. It's as simple as that. So, we're not to go on such exploration. If he wants us to know, everything he wrote, he wants us to know. Things he didn't write, don't bother with it. It's either, number one, our mind is too small to conceive it, to comprehend it. Remember, Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 16. He says, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. So, until probably when we have an eternal view of things... It's useless to us. All right? So, we're not... The Bible, this, today's Bible study is not about knowing what he saw. It's not written. Number two, it's not about 
knowing what the thorn is. Even Paul himself did not write it. But I can, a lot of people have suggested many things. But we are not interested in suggestions, okay? So let's make that clear. There was a third thing also that is, as it were, I won't call that hidden. I'm calling it concealed. It can be unraveled if you go into time analysis. And that was what was 14 years ago, as at the time he wrote this. Um, they said he wrote, historian says, Bible historian says he wrote this around AD 57 AD or 56 AD. You back up, that gives you 42 to 44 AD, thereabouts. And they could tell where Paul was at that time. Three opinions they had. Number one opinion, please stay with me. Number one opinion is um, uh, uh, when, what's his name? And Barnabas went to pick him from Torres and brought him to Jerusalem. Another says, oh no, it says it was the time when he was stoned to death at Troas. You know, when the Bible says he was, as it were, dead. But that doesn't hold any water for us 14 years ago. Now, what is God saying to us from this passage? We read further down. He said, this guy was caught up to the third heavens and um, he saw several things he can't tell, which is really, um, but we should know clearly that number one, Paul was saying here, your super apostles haven't seen God. I saw him. I was taken to the third heavens. I saw him with my eyes. But I'm not making a boast of that. And that's why I'm describing myself as someone else. A guy was taken to the third heavens. Not Paul. Because Paul has lost his identity in Christ. Don't forget Christ says, uh, Paul says, um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. But Christ that lives in me. So his life was a crucified life. His identity totally lost to Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm ready to make myself anything for the sake of Christ. Makes no difference to me. Now, go further down. We're getting to the exciting part. That's the historical part. So the Bible now says, he said, well, I will speak the truth. I will refuse to boast. Let's take a leap and go to verse number seven. So we have seen the reason why. Paul had to mention this. He mentioned this not to propagate himself, not to project himself, not to make himself look a superman, a specially anointed person, or some person that had some spirit, that attained some spiritual height that makes him very um, distinct or superior to others. No, this is, wasn't on a superiority drive. This is simply he trying to help them understand the fact that, look, what you guys are celebrating should be ordinary to all of us. Are you listening? What, you know, I, I, I see folks that um, it's good to honor everyone. The Bible says honor all men. That's what scripture says. Okay, but when we start ascribing almost like a God status to people because God uses them for great things, that's a problem. And Paul said, I'm not going to be part of that because that was what the super apostles were doing. They were trying to make others feel, you know what? I'm different. I've been elected. I'm a special person. And Paul is saying, you're as ordinary as anything. So Paul was trying to help them see how such a special person who had seen such great things, who stood before God, is still as ordinary as you and I. Same infirmity, same problem, same troubles. Even though he saw God. 
He was trying to help them see, look, everybody you think is special <laughs> has something he's carrying that only God can fix. Everyone that you feel, well, they are, you understand, you see some folks and you feel, Lord, why can't you just give me that kind of life? Oh, no, you don't want it. Yours is great for you. Oh, you don't want it. Let's move. So he says, he now says, because of this great revelation, so that I will not be exalted above measure by the abundance. Now, the word abundance there is not so much of the quantity or the frequency of the visions. It's talking about the depth of the visions, basically. In other words, you know you can have vision. Um, I have visions a few times when probably I see superior situation or God shows me something to unlock the matter and know what to do. Okay? But seeing God going to heaven, standing before the throne, it's never happened to me. Okay? I'm not sure I want it. I don't want, <laughs> you want to be spooked. I'll see it when I get there. When I think I can handle it when I get there. All right? So it's not... It's not um, so there are realms when it comes to that. So Paul was saying, none of them has ever claimed that they stood before God. Heard things that a human being can't say. But I did. I did. A lot of things Paul wrote, you won't see in any of the Gospels, mentioned by Jesus. Very interested. One of which you see in the book of Acts, where the Bible says, as the Lord said, it is more blessed to give that Jesus said it, you will not find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You only find it in the actual apostle where Paul mentioned it. Some of these things, most of what he wrote, the depth of, of knowledge, of the greatness of God, the mystery of our sonship in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not explain it to any of the other disciples. Paul knew it by several visitations he had with Jesus. He wrote it down. 13 books of the New Testament. Not a joke. But brethren, let's keep going. So, few things we are going to look at here. We're going to look at the thorn in the flesh. What is the thorn in the flesh? Still verse 7. So we talked about the revelations. We talked about the greatness of such revelations. The percu- these are revelations that maybe only 0.0000% or 1% of human, of the entire human or man- generation of mankind on earth will ever experience. Says so I did experience it. However, so that I will not be puffed up. So I will not become proud. So I will not feel special. And brother, it's very easy to feel special. When God starts using you for some things, it is so easy to feel special. It's so easy. Even when you don't want, the people will help you feel special. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you, I mean, God raises the dead because you prayed. God opening blind eyes because you prayed. God lame jumping up because you prayed. You remember what happened at the beautiful gate? After the guy was jumping and leaping and praising God, the Bible says the people came at Solomon's porch and they were ready to worship. (laughs) 
sorry, uh, no, not, um, not, not uh, at, uh, the beautiful gate. They were ready to worship Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas had to tear their clothes. We are human beings like you. There's nothing special about us. This is Jesus in action. And that's the emphasis of this chapter. The fact that irrespective of how great, how magnificent God's working in your life will be, how, how, how deep or how vulnerable God will make himself to you, you're a man. Now let me explain this. A child of God is different from God. A child of God isn't the same thing as God. I'm talking of capital G-O-D. God did not make us him. He made us his, his children. Now, so that he will not start thinking he's him, God helped him. <laughs> by, now, let's, let, let me not jump the gun. Let me give you step by step. So, let's talk about the thorn in the flesh. Now, thorn in the flesh here is not the thorn you see in the parable of the sower, like the thorn plant. No, it's not the thorn of crowns on Jesus' head. No, that's the plant. This is a figure of speech. You know when the Englishman says, you're a thorn in my flesh? It means you're a bug, like you're a pest. That's what it means. So that was what he was saying here. He says, now please, let's look at scripture very well. A thorn in the flesh. Now, the thorn in the flesh, the word thorn here is the Greek word called Scolop, S-K-O-L-O-P, scolop. Scolop means something which frustrates and causes trouble in the lives of those afflicted. In other words, when he says a thorn of flesh, Paul was saying something that frustrates me, causes me trouble, was given to me. Now, please... Take notes, number two point here is to take note of the word given. It wasn't something he picked up. When you are giving something, it's a gift. How can God gift you with trouble? <laughs> Very interesting. Sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> or an irony rather. God gifting you trouble. Don't forget it was given. It was a gift. The thorn in the flesh. In other words, the thing that makes what it is we don't know. Some people think, oh, it is uh, sickness in the body. Some people felt because he wasn't married, it was his passion, his sexual passion. Some people felt um, uh, it was a spiritual problem he had. All sorts of uh, insinuations and suggestions. But no, the Bible didn't tell us what it is, and we're not going to try to know. But what we know is that whatever it is was something that frustrated him, costing a lot of trouble. Something he wished he never had. But brethren, it wasn't something he picked up. It was something that was gifted to him. Please take note of the word given. Take note of the word given. We're moving into some depths now. Please stay with me. It was given to him. Now, the gift that was given to him was a messenger of Satan. 
a messenger of Satan to buffet him. The word buffet there means to beat him. Beat when you punch, you beat. So here it says, Paul says, now because of the depth of revelations I saw, which I'm not allowed to talk about. In other words, he saw things that God would rather not share with man. I take that again. Paul saw things that God would rather not share with man. And a man, he has shared with a man. So I'm okay with you, but no other man should know. So, so that he would not start thinking he is now so special, very invincible, God to help him. Now, when you talk about gift there, obviously we know that all good and perfect gifts come from God. All right? So what God did is simply what he did in the book of Job. All right? It is an agent of Satan. So God did not give, uh, um, take from Satan and put on Job, on um, Paul. No. Let me show you what he did. Job chapter number one. Open your Bible. Job one and twelve. Don't forget, please, this, this thorn in the flesh uh, is a gift. Don't forget it, please. A gift from who? God. <laughs> a gift from God. It wasn't something I picked up because I was living a loose life. Mm-mm. God looked at me and said, I will help you. So, so God gave him a gift. And said, this is the gift. What was the gift? An agent of Satan to buffet him. Now, it wasn't that God brought it from Satan and gave him, but God gave permission for it. And this is what Job chapter 1 verse 12, same scenario. The Bible says, and the Lord said to Satan, this is exactly what kind of happened. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay hand on his person. Don't lay on. So when he says an agent of Satan to buffet me, is typically what happened here. And see, it wasn't Satan wasn't interested in entering Job's life. Oh, he couldn't because it was. Don't forget the Bible says he had, he had the shield around him. He couldn't. So God wanted to help Job, and he gave him a gift. Please. While we are analyzing these God gifts, don't be blind to two things or don't forget two things. You can't love yourself anything close to how much God loves you. Don't ever forget that. So there is nothing he gives you that won't better your life. It is not possible. The Bible says all good and perfect gifts come from, from above, from the Father of light, with whom there is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. There's n- trust me, please trust God. There's nothing God will give you. There's nothing God will give you that is not in your best interest. I'm not saying your better interest, your best interest. Why? You cannot possibly love yourself anything close to how much God loves you. Yes, ma'am. 
Okay, go ahead. Um, on that note, um, so I, I really agree with everything you've said, but when it's an attack of the devil, Okay. Now we're still going far. We have not closed yet. Yeah. Don't worry. At the end, you'll be able to ask. Let me, like, when I land, I'm still getting to that. I'm going to help you differentiate. Good question. I'm going to help you differentiate when it is a gift from God or the devil trying to take an advantage of you. Okay? We'll differentiate that. Very good question. Don't worry. So, God gave him a gift. The gift is Satan, you can touch everything he has, but not his soul. So, whatever the tone of the flesh is, God actually gave permission to the devil. And the devil had been looking for an opportunity to deal with this guy. So, with enthusiasm, <laughs> Satan lashed on the permission. And he kept doing it effectively. Are you listening? Okay? Please take note of that. So, he says, this, he now said three times, I prayed to God. Lord, can, can you take this away from me? Now, the, the, the phrase three times there, I went checking some Hebrew, Hebrew um, uh, use of words. When a Hebrew, well, let me give you a typical one. In Africa, when my mom wants to emphasize something to me, he will call you and says, General, say yes, ma. General, say yes, ma. General, she will ask you, how many times did I call you? <laughs> you will say, hey, three times. All she's trying to tell you is that what I'm about to tell you, <laughs> you default. <laughs> Only God will deliver you from my hands. It was some form of emphasis. So it wasn't so much of he prayed three times. It's just a way of saying I prayed ceaselessly. I asked many times. I went to the Lord interceding, supplicating, saying, Lord, can this thing stop? And God responded to him and said to him, this is what he said. This is the beauty of the study today. Let's read what God told him. Now, don't forget who gave him this gift. So you are telling God to take his gift away. That was what he was praying. But it, didn't, it wasn't obvious to him until God spoke to him. Are you still with me? Until God spoke to him. That he didn't know, he felt probably the devil was taking advantage of him. But it's later, because how did he know God gave him that because of the vision he had? It's either after God had spoken to him, he now understood what it was all about, or God told him clearly, this is why you need this. Or rather, he himself knew, I have this tendency. If God is allowing this, is do you understand? I know... Until recently, maybe until 10 years ago, I don't allow folks around me share testimonies. I know myself. I know my tendencies. So I don't need, oh, testimony. Nah. Churches I pastored, God used me to do anything in your life. I don't want to hear the testimony. If you, mention, you say the testimony, don't mention my name. It's as simple as that. The day you mention my name is the day you, last day you see microphone. Because I knew my tendencies. I know myself. So please don't. So until about 10 years ago, I felt, okay, now I think I've grown. I can handle it. Okay, it's clear to me he's walking, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm hearing it here. It's going the other way. There's nothing that stays. But those days, it will likely stay. 
So it's either of those two cases. Either he felt, mm, Paul, you know. You, from, from his background, you could know the kind of personality he had. Paul was a go-getter. Tell him anything, he will get it done. So probably he had this tendency to always ascribe things to his own strength. Don't forget, you said, among the other disciples, I labored more than all. So he was always sometimes subtly in a way trying to make them see, boss, look, when it comes to work, we're not at the same level. So he knew his tendencies and probably now felt after he had prayed and God said, ah, I said, God is helping me here. Okay? Or God told him clearly, bros, you're going to be lofty. Now, in God telling him, there is a, character, a characteristic of God we have to put into consideration, which is the fact that God is all-knowing. All-knowing means he knows what I will be and what I will do without influencing my choices. So if tomorrow the Lord knows I'm going to be puffed up, <laughs> and because, well, everybody say, oh, Paul, 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 saw the great vision. And you know, nobody knew. Paul, 14 years, he didn't mention anything about this vision. Not once. 14 solid years. But for what happened, he would never have said it probably. We would never have known anything happened. But for the false, these super apostles, he would never have mentioned. So for 14 years, he held it up in his heart. Nobody knew anything that happened. Only he knew. And God, who knows the heart of men, probably saw what was going on in his heart. Said Paul, now that you have mentioned it, people might begin to think of you. Meanwhile, the, 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 the tongue had been given to him way before he started saying this. He's actually... Um, recounting what had happened. I think the thorn came almost immediately after the vision. It's not something new that happened. Mm-mm. Because, because, I, because I'm thinking from my study that everybody knew what the thorn was. It was something obvious that made them think it was probably inferior to those other people that didn't have such issues. If it was a physical thing, I don't know what it is. I'm not interested in knowing if it was a physical thing, then probably can you imagine a man of God suddenly and he has a feet, maybe, an, let's assume, an epileptic feet. And he had just raised the dead. <laughs> okay? And other super apostles come and they don't have any such problems. Wife is fine. Kids are fine. They are raising the dead. They don't have all such feet. They will, people will kind of incline more towards those other people than Paul. So it was also Paul's way of explaining... <laughs> <laughs> the reason why he had some of the problems people knew him with. So Paul now says, for 14 years, I've had this stone in the flesh. And it was a gift from God. And every gift from God is good and perfect. It's actually meant to help my life. Let me give you two examples. I know a man, great man of God, when I mean great man of God, I mean a great man of God. I've seen miracles happen in his ministry like I've not seen ever in my life. Blind, seen, common. There was a particular meeting. We had over almost 200 people on wheelchairs. Not one of them went home on wheelchair. The Holy Ghost got everybody on wheelchair up that night. I was there that night. Everybody on wheelchair got up. I was right there. 
a guy who had no eyeballs. Like, he just had a socket. There are no eyeballs at all. <laughs> While we were worshiping God, brand new eyeballs showed up. Like miracles, like people going taller. Oh, yeah. Before the service was, can you imagine before the service is over, my trousers is here because I've, I've just shut up. I've gone taller. But he had a child. The child, oh, you can have it's a Down syndrome or whatever, but something like that. And I've seen God use him to heal such children many times, but not his own. The child is late now. Why would God do such a thing? I'm sure I must have cried to God, Lord, why won't you heal my own child? That says, my grace is sufficient for you. There's this other man I've, I read about, huge authority. Man, this guy was so anointed with God's power, huge authority. But he never had a good marriage. His wife, his wife was, sometimes we'll be preaching, his wife will come take off the microphone from him. Or just come and publicly disgrace him. And we have to laugh. There was a man who was, he wanted to pray, just bless his food while he was, he wanted to have his meal. And just wanted to pray over his food and just bless his food. And he was there for three days. Praying. He got suspended praying. Three days over a meal. No sleep. By the time he came back, the meal was still hot. <laughs> no, I'm telling you real life stories. I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking of real life stories. But his wife, <laughs> his wife would wake up and just slap him, just feel like slapping him. Oh, yeah. So that man would not be thinking of himself as God. So you wonder, why would such great men of God have such problems? I think most of them are God's gift to them. So all God says is my grace is sufficient for thee. Three ways that this thorn affected him. Physically, it affected him. Um, obvious because it was obvious to everybody. I didn't know what it was. Number two, it affected his mind. Because can you imagine as a man of God, you've dealt with the devil and you now know that there's a devil that you cannot win. There's a devil you can't defeat. <laughs> because God gave the devil permission to beat you for your own good. Then spiritually, there was a third influence or impact that the, this, this had on him. And that's the fact that, can you imagine you pray to God many times and the problem doesn't go away? <coughs> the problem wouldn't go away. We will need to begin to trust God's love for us more than our situation. If we don't, we're going to question even gifts he gives us. Let me go further as we wrap this up. 
God said to him, verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Let me help you, and let's, now I'm addressing the question you are to ask my sister. How will I know when it is a gift from God or the devil taking advantage of me? Answer is in the passage, very simple. Number one, when the situation does not respond to Mark eleven twenty three. Don't forget, now this is Paul, very deep. Most of what we know in spiritual warfare, he taught us. It is Paul that taught us most of what we know in spiritual warfare. Mark eleven twenty three. let's see what the Bible says. And very few of them knew as much scripture as Paul knew. Now this is Jesus speaking. Can we read together everyone? Want to read, please? I think I've taught you before. I said, anytime you see in scripture, especially in the gospels, where Jesus himself uses the word assuredly or verily, verily, you are dealing with a determined will. Determined will is what God has determined and is not subject to man's um, opinion or man's manipulation. It is fixed. Now, there's others that are desired will. Determined will, let me give you a typical example of a determined will. Your gender, for example. God will not have to, he wouldn't have to discuss that with you. The family you are born into, determined will. So anything you see in scripture, that is, Jesus says, verily, verily, or assuredly. In other words, God did not leave this to man's will. It's not subject to what you want. This is the way it's going to be. So he says here, assuredly, which is a determined will. Which means whatever it says here is connected to his existence and his throne as God. It can't change. It cannot change. It can't fail. If it fails, God doesn't exist. So he says, I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain. Now, Satan showing up is a potential mountain. We deal with it as we deal with a mountain. You don't pray to God concerning a mountain. You speak to the mountain. That's what Jesus taught us. You say to this, not to me, not God move the mountain from God doesn't do that. All right? So Paul knew that this was not, that's how he knew that Paul knew this was not from the devil. Because Paul was praying to God to take it away. Paul knew you don't talk to God to cast out demons. You speak to the demon itself. From Ephesians 1, 20, you know, you understand that clearly. Now, he says, you say to the mountain, so when, number one, if Mark eleven twenty three fails, then you know you are dealing with a gift. Let me take you further. Number two, when... The situation won't respond to Mark eleven twenty four. Go to the next verse, verse twenty four. There are two or three ways you can handle when Satan comes. So, I'm giving you some of the ways now. Bible says, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believing you shall receive it and you shall be, you shall have them. Verse twenty 
25. Okay, sorry, forgive me, please. Go to Matthew, Matthew 18, 19. Matthew 18, 19. Very quickly. Again, I say to you, if two of you shall agree concerning how many things? Anything. Do you know one of the greatest assets we have as children of God is the power of agreement with any brother, especially your spouse, if they are saved. We join hands together. So if you try to speak to the mountain yourself and it doesn't move, and you switch to this, which is the next level of you getting a brother to agree with you, and this scripture fails. Huh? Number three, let me give you the third one. If the scripture, if the situation also does not respond to Philippians 4 6, what is Philippians 4 6? If you have to go and switch to Philippians 4 6 for the situation, you are dealing with a gift from God. Not the devil. The devil cannot resist except you don't have faith like Jesus said. If you don't have faith, the Bible says once two of you come together and you agree, it shall be established. If that fails, it's likely you are dealing with a gift. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. When you have to now make your request known unto God, because you speaking to the mountain field, you are agreeing with the same field, which is are the two ways recommended to dealing with the devil. If you have to, you have to come to this, like he did eventually, you are dealing with a gift. Let me give you a fourth one. If you go and implement number three, as in you go to God and you start making supplication, and God gives you a response. If he doesn't give you a response, it's likely you are sitting with the devil. If it is a gift from God, he must give you a response. He must give you a response. I didn't say he will. He can't. He must give you a response because he's the giver of the, the gift. Now, the response usually is not what you are looking forward to. I'm going to need something here. Um, please, Wally, come. I need you to find something. Uh, okay, come, take this. Now, please listen to me. Watch carefully. Be at the height of the level. Just hold it in your two hands like this here. Thank you. Please watch everyone. Don't forget, he did respond to Mark 23. He did respond to Matthew 18, 19. Then you have to now switch to supplicating. If you supplicate and you don't get an answer, it is not a gift. God must give you an answer. Now, the answer will not be what you want to hear. That's one of the characteristics. Please go and attend to him. Thank you. <laughs> go, 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 go. Go, go, go. Yes, yes, yes. It's like he's running away. <laughs> we also have daddies, eh? <laughs> young, young, can you, can you come, come, come? Yeah. God bless you. Thank you so much. Please come on stage. All righty. Can I have his Bible, the other Bible he had? Thank you so much, ma'am. 
God bless you. Thank you so much, man. That's your right. Okay. All righty. Now, I'm going to hold both. Both of them. Are they heavy? Wow, you are strong. <laughs> now, watch carefully. So, God says, my grace. Now, when you go to God and say, Lord, I have this problem. Remove it from me. What you want is relief. Relief can come in two ways. Please take note of this. I hope you're writing down. Relief can come in two ways. She is carrying this body now. So the best way to relieve her is to take it off her. Let me go. Let me have it. All right? And that, that's what we're all looking for. But God doesn't take gifts off you. So this is what he does. The second way, which is for, from the devil, he will relieve you altogether. It's called deliverance. But if it's a gift from him, this is what he does. The only other way to relieve this sister, or this brother, rather, <laughs> is to give, she, she carry it all, but are you feeling the weight now? Are you feeling the weight now? Yes. Are you still carrying it? But are you feeling the weight? No. This is what God does. This guy, he won't take it off you. This guy is called grace. So grace is, you will not feel the, you, you will still have it. But you have enough strength to bear it. It will be sufficient to remove the weight from you. That's the second way to relieve. And that's what he does. So when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, it simply means, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Are you feeling the weight? No. It's just your hand that's up. Okay? All right. Thank you so much. Can we put our hands together for this young man? Thank you. God bless you real good. This is where it says, my grace is sufficient for me. But when it becomes insufficient, I'll come to that. Now, this is what it means. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So there is no walking or dealings of God in your life that is peculiar to you. God has dealt with someone and still dealing with someone and someone will still... What I mean dealing is God helping someone to become more like him. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear? But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may bear it. So it won't take it off you, but it will help you bear it. How does he help you bear it? By giving you relief. Not taking it off you, but making sure that it has no weight. That situation loses the ability to be, to be a matter anymore. It has no weight and it cannot occupy space. But you have it. When, let's wrap this up. 
that, that has answered the question, my sister. When, when you have a situation in your life that you've fasted, you've prayed, you've, you've implemented Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, you've spoken to the mountain, it's not moved, you've agreed with the saints, it's still the same, hmm? then you've gone to God in supplication, and God gave you an answer, but the answer I gave you is not what you want to hear. You are carrying a gift. The gift is a thorn in the flesh. What's a thorn in the flesh? <laughs> Skull off. Something that irritates you and makes you, causes you to be uncomfortable. But God is putting it there to help your life. So that I will not be puffed up. The day you no longer have a tendency to be puffed up, you will not need to pray for that gift to be lost. Haven't you noticed that God invited Satan into Job's life, which is giving him a thorn? And God told the devil, touch everything he has, but not his soul. So God gave him the power to initiate it. But you know, God did not need Satan's permission to end it. He didn't need Satan's permission to end it. He didn't say, Satan is enough, remove your hand. Nah. Actually, the person that determined when the end came was Job. Thank you. Not God. There are some thorns we are still going to carry until we begin to realize that we have no sufficiency of ourselves. The whole essence of the thorn is to let you and I know that we are not sufficient. That's why it says my grace is. Now, four things you need to realize there. Mine, it is not your grace. Two, grace. Three, sufficient. Four, for you, not for Paul. So until, so God puts some things in your life to help you remain with him until you outgrow the reason why he put it there or he allowed it. Let me not put, allowed it there. Somebody sent me a question today, and one of my protégés, she's a, she's a senior pastor in Nigeria, says she read where God wanted to kill Moses. So, Pastor, that's strange. Will God have killed him? I said, yes. Then how will he get the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt? <laughs> I said, you didn't tell him how he was going to do it in the first place. He chose the way. He has a billion and one ways he could do it. In fact, I suggested one of the ways, which is typical of God. After Moses had died by, by the killing of God, God will now go to Egypt. The Pharaoh that persecuted them, God will go and save him. <laughs> he will abdicate his throne. He will now go to the wilderness. God will train him. God will now send him to go back to the Pharaoh that takes over from him. Let my people go. God. Brethren, you can't, if only we just learn to trust him. Just learn 
You can't love your, and please understand this. God loves you too much to allow unnecessary pain on your life. There is necessary ones. There are necessary ones. Yes, ma'am. If, if God has given you a gift and you know that, okay, God is trying to, it's a gift, right? Is it possible to quicken that journey? Like when you are, you know, you might know, you may or may not know what it is, but is it possible to quicken that journey so that that gift goes away? Oh, sure. Definitely. It's, don't forget, he put it there for our sake to put us in check. That was why I was explaining that God did not tell Job, um, Satan, when to stop on Job. It was when. It was when Job decided he was going to pray for his friends that God said, you're now free. All the while, nobody knew Job was struggling with bitterness. <laughs> nobody knew Job had issues forgiving people. Nobody, no one knew. Everybody just saw this rich, righteous guy. And God even called him a perfect man. Job could handle every other person. In fact, his wife wasn't a problem. His friends, he couldn't believe. You guys... When God, when it took God a lot to get Job to agree to forgiving his friends. When he said he was not going to forgive his friends, chapter 38 to chapter 40, God now began to tell Job how he created the earth. So that you now think, oh, say you are big, Abby, you're a big man. Tell me where the foundation of the earth is. The Orions, do you know where? Leviathan, do you know who he is? Do, when God, Job now said, Lord, you are righteous. Do you understand? It's what same thing like Paul was doing here. Like, I'm giving you my pedigree. Job surrendered. So why does God give us the gifts? He gives, puts us, gives us that gift to keep us in his, in his will until the day we outgrow it. We outgrow the reason he gave us the gift, which is, in, this, in Paul's case, Pride. pride. Do you know it's possible God will not allow you to make money? He will make sure that there is a spirit that terminates when he's just about to break through. Because <laughs> he can't trust you with it yet. And the, people will name it and call it near success syndrome. Nah. Not for children of God. Oh no. There's nothing like that. Usually in most cases, it is God helping you. Because if that thing had come in, you know, when I was younger, I, quite business savvy. I'm, I'm quite business savvy. So, please, I was working. Who, who I know what to do, blah, blah. Just at the nick of it. There was a time I was to import myself and a friend of mine. We're, we're in our early 20s. We we're going to import sugar. Huge. That would have made us more time in Lonias. We did everything. Like, just before we came, Dangote dropped his own price. We went into, we went into crisis. And I'm grateful to God. <laughs> now, I'm telling you the Jesus truth. I'm so grateful to God. God did not allow that thing to happen. If I've broken through, I won't be a preacher. God will hold the heavens. We will rule the earth. <laughs> he knows what you can handle. He knows. You think Paul died with this thing? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. At the point when he outgrew it, there's something we need to outgrow. I can tell you most times, brethren, a lot of times, it's not the devil standing in your way. I can tell you, it is God's love that has given room. Say, have you seen PK, my son? That don't touch anything. <laughs> Just to keep him until the day when you think if the prodigal son didn't go broke, hmm? you think he will go back home? No. All those things are meant to get us to the point where we come to our senses. I know that we live for God and God rules in the affairs of men. I'm done.